When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. It's Tennessee week. But more than that, it's contract extension week here at Rockin' Nation here in Mizzou land. BK, I hope you brought your glasses and your, and your lawyer knowledge because we're going to be talking contracts. How you doing, man? That's what you're here for. Your wife is an attorney, so I, I'm relying entirely on your expertise in that regard. I'm doing all right. Um, it's been an interesting week, to say the least. Mizzou had the news on Saturday that they extended Eli Drinkwitz, and I know we'll get into that today because uh, we have some specifics, and that was really mm-hmm. what mattered. Saying that you extended your college coach can mean a million mm-hmm. different things. The devil, as always, is in the details, and now that we have them, um, I... I think that this is a real contract extension, yeah, so we'll get sure. into that. That's all. You all are smart enough. You listen to Rockham Nation podcast. You read us at Rockham Nation. You all are smart, and you know what to look for. We are here to walk you through it. But first, we got some roster movement. And on the roster management side, we experienced a loss. Mr. Davian Sistrunk, a cornerback out of uh, Ugali, Florida, decided to hit the transfer portal. Now, can't really officially enter the transfer portal until later on, but he made his intentions very clear because Eli Drinkwitz made his intentions very clear when he suspended him from the team and then barely played him all year. Davian is a redshirt freshman. He's has, you know, three more years to go and he was just not seeing the field because we see Amos Rextra, we see Chris Avis Drain, we see Drayden Norwood, we see Marcus Clark, who wasn't even on the team until seven weeks ago. They're all playing, and he's not. So Ryan's on the wall. He is off into the transfer portal. We wish him luck. 
I pretty much went over it. He was not in the rotation. This isn't a huge loss other than just a guy. Anything past that, BK? Not really. I mean, I, I think that you pretty much covered it. Like, this is somebody who, when he got to Missouri, it was a project. And they were hopeful that the athletic traits would translate and they would be able, basically, to teach him how to play cornerback. And since he's been at Mizzou, he basically hasn't played. And if you look at just like in terms of the the snaps that you have at the cornerback position, he's just not a guy that's gotten any. Like you can go through and look at all of the defensive backs that they've played this year. They've played quite a few of them, and he was just not on that list. So while it is a loss in terms of the numbers, I think they've done a pretty good job of being able to backfill mm-hmm. this position. We asked earlier in the season, hey, why do they keep adding all of these corners well i think now we can find why find out why they, they probably saw the writing on the wall for some of the guys that uh have since departed and uh now they get to go out and hopefully add even more in the off season yeah. so that's pretty much where right they're now at. it's a four-man rotation really three-man sometimes dj jackson gets in there and then you got marcus scott and then coming in uh the freshman next year will be uh, nick deloche and shamar mcneil so not ruling out any transfer portal additions, but you do have some freshmen coming in and assuming CAD and, and has come back. That, I mean, that's, you got to lock down, <laughs> you know, that's going to be your starting rotation once again. So we'll see what happens as far as early entry into the NFL or any trans, other transfers away, but uh, best of luck to Davian. I think the Missouri cornerbacks are going to be fine and we all move on to, to bigger, better things, including Eli Drinkwitz's contract extension. So we got the details. Taking a look. Let's review it. I'm going to use a lot of numbers. I'm going to go slow. If you're driving and it's like early in the morning, I'm sorry for the headache. I will try to make this as painless as possible. This is a contract extension, and he is going to get a raise. The base salary stays the same. Base salary right now is $450,000 a year. The way he gets paid is he gets that base salary, plus he gets four annual payments of non-salary comp. And so that is the thing that's going to increase. It's going to be about four payments of a million dollars, billion and a half by the time you get to 2025. So the total compensation is going to be $6 million in 2023, six and a quarter million in 2024, six and a half million in 2025, and then 6.75 million in 2026, capping out at $7 million dollars in 2027. Now, this the the 2023 salary would have him ranked currently ranked 8th in the SEC. That's going to be tied with Sam Pittman in Arkansas, and he's ahead of Mike Leach and Josh Heupel. Mike Leach is making 5 and a half million. Josh Heupel is somehow only at 5 million. That's not going to stay. So, it is a increase in years on the contract and it's an increase in the compensation. Now, here's how we know the big important part, which is the buyout. This is how you know this is a real thing. The buyout changes. If Missouri fires Eli Drinkwitz, the University of Missouri would owe him 75% of what's remaining on the contract. That is an increase from the previous contract in which it was only 70, so it's a 5% bump. Now, if Eli Drinkwitz is fired by Missouri and he gets a new job after being fired, his buyout is offset dollar for dollar on the new salary. 
That is very important. That's a very important part. That's very key for Missouri. That's a good thing for the university. That's not in every single contract, so we're glad we have that. Now, if Eli Drinkwitz leaves, if he still has years on the contract left and he gets a different job, he will owe Missouri $6 million between now and December 1st of 2023. Every year after that, that amount of money he owes Missouri will drop by a million dollars for each year for the, for the remaining years of the contract. The big thing, the one that caught my eye, is that not only is Eli Drinkwitz getting a bump here, the staff salary pool has increased from $5.2 million to $6.3 million. My University of Missouri degree math tells me that is a $1.1 million increase. What, what things are worth $1.1 million? Ask yourself that real quick. Okay, so that is, that is the contract. That is the extension. That is the compensation. That is the buyout. Can I add yes. one more thing? I do think it's an important disclaimer. The buyout for drink would be half up front. Oh, right. And the remaining half would be paid over the years that remain. Within 30 days of termination. And the right? reason. So, yeah, that's where the first half would come. And then the rest would come over the remainder of the contract. And that is where the um, offset language is important. And what I mean by offset language is basically if he gets a new job elsewhere, take whatever he had left on his contract at Mizzou. So six to seven million dollars, somewhere in that range subtract whatever he's making now at his new job, which if he's a coordinator, probably a million bucks. If he's a head coach somewhere, somewhere between two and four, most likely subtract that money. And that is what the remainder of the buyout is for Mizzou. So I just wanted to bring that up just because I, I do think it's important for this conversation as well. Absolutely, It's convoluted. It's difficult, but basically here is the like big numbers for Mizzou fans to know that this is very real in terms of the buyout. The old buyout, if they fired him after next year was going to be $5.6 million based on my understanding. The new buyout, if they were to fire him after next season would be 75% of the remainder of the deal. The remainder of the deal would be $26 million. So that means it's a roughly $20 million buyout, $10 million of which would be paid upfront. So you increased the buyout basically twofold. You essentially doubled your buyout after next season if things go awry. This is a real contract extension. Many of them are not. This one very much is. It is. And the National College Football Writer Association people who are connected viewed this as a, huh, okay, and I think the reason for that is twofold. Number one, when you are outside of a school, or if you're outside reporting in, you don't always have the nuances. You don't have the day-to-day. You don't have the run-ins, the familiarity with the athletic department. So it's tougher sometimes for you to understand why these sorts of things happen. On the outside, what do what does the national view look like for Missouri? Well, you know, Eli Drinkwitz is what, 15 and 17? <laughs> it's, it's like 8 and 14 in the SEC. And he's two and a half years in, almost three years in. It seems weird to be extending a guy who doesn't even have a 500 record at Missouri. You'd think, oh, well, they probably need to cut bait and run. Here's the other side, though. This is kind of the cost of business of doing football in the SEC. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just I just told you, this, this extension and this 
Rays would put him at eighth. And you're assuming that Sam Pittman, Mike Leach, and Josh Heupel do not get raises after this year? Boy, we know that's not right. So you cannot have... You cannot have your coach be at the bottom of the pile if you want to remain competitive and keep him bought in. This is a statement from Desiree Reed Francois and the athletic department and everybody else who signed off on this saying, regardless of everything that's happened, the wins, the losses, whatever, regardless of all that, we have our guy. We know we have our guy, and we are going to encourage him to continue what he is doing and give him more money to do it, both for his personal finances and his assistant coach's finances. So that is a reigning endorsement for keep doing what you're doing. We are on the right path. And I said months ago that this athletic department, this, this administration, does not fool itself. It's not trying to be an Alabama. It's not trying to be a Florida or an Auburn or an LSU where you lose a couple games and you're out. This is not that this is not that kind of program. They're not fooling themselves. They know if you go back into a coach search, it's another crapshoot and you're resetting the clock and you're starting back at zero. They are trying to keep the guy that they think that they, they have the right one. He gets along with the administration. He's a good representative for the university and the team. He's got good connections. He has increased recruiting. He's increased buy-in, fan turnout. He's done all of that despite not even having a 500 record as a coach. He's done all of that. So they like it. They're endorsing it. They're giving him the money to do it. And frankly, that's just kind of how this works in the modern college football era. I'm conflicted on it. I got to be honest with you Um, on one side. So let's start with drinks perspective. He got everything he wanted here. Like he has to be the happiest man in America. First of all, he got security. He got financial security and he got job security because Mizzou ain't firing him after next year. Like barring something that I just am unfamiliar with where they've got some kind of sugar daddy that's coming down that I don't know about. They're not about to pay that kind of money to make him go away. Even I mean, it would have to be an absolute disaster next year for that to take place. Monetarily, like, man, this dude's about to make six million dollars. And that's the cheap year. Like, that's the that's the cheapest of all of this. And then on top of all of that, he also got more money for his staff, which is likely going to come in the form, as you mentioned earlier, you kind of alluded to this in an offensive coordinator and we can get into what that means for the offseason here in just a minute but like he is now working as if this is a real sec program man for the first time since mizzou's been in the sec they are committing to football in a way that other sec programs kind of in their their same ilk so thinking kentucky and um, the South Carolina teams that are programs that are in that like mid range in the SEC. This is how they invest, and Mizzou has never really done that, and now they are at least when it comes to their staff. So I will give credit to Missouri for that. Now you could think that they're like making a bad bet and that they shouldn't be doing this with this specific coach and this staff. I that's fine. I we can have our conversation about that separately, but not you specifically, Nate, but the generic you, the listener. So I, I guess I, I get it from his perspective. From the school's perspective, I guess the question that I would ask is this. Did you need to do this? Was this necessary? And I think, and this is just 
my assumption, I have not heard this specifically from anybody, but my guess would be they would, their answer would be yes. And their answer would be twofold. One, they think they're right. They believe that Eli Drinkwitz is the guy. And they think that if he gets an offensive coordinator and he finds the right quarterback next year, things are about to take off and the price of poker only goes up. It would be more expensive to have this kind of a deal done after next season than it is to do right now. The more you learn, if it's in the positive direction, that's kind of how this goes. So that's that's part one. Part two, and this is where I think it's just nonsense because they did this same thing, although not to the same degree, with Barry Odom, is they would say they needed to extend him for recruiting reasons. If you hear anybody, and I mean anybody, say that Drinkwitz had to be extended because of recruiting reasons, or any other coach in college football had to be uh, extended because they have two or three years left on their deal, that is nonsense. There is not a single recruit in the country that when they're looking at a school, they say, huh, my coach only has three years left on his deal. He's not going to be there by the end of my time at Mizzou or my time at wherever. It just doesn't happen. Now, if you want to throw a funny money year on there, whatever. It it, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. But I, I think that's a nonsensical reason or explanation as to why they had to do this. I think they think they've got the right guy. And we can have conversations about that, Nate, as to whether or not you think they're right. Yeah. But I think that's why they I did I think it. there's a sub point in there, too, which is to, to stop him from looking around for another job. Not saying that he is actively doing that right now. I'm not, I don't have sources. I don't, you know, I'm not flight tracking him. I'm just saying, if you give him literally everything that he needs, which previous years they have been doing as far as facilities and investment and all that sort of stuff, and now they finally invest in his pocketbook as well, why would you go anywhere else? Like, seriously, like you're, you're scuffling. It's tougher than you thought. It might not be the... I'll tell you this much. If he had this amount of success at any other school in the SEC, not named probably Vandy would be the lone exception, he would not be getting this exactly. kind of treatment. Exactly. So it's saying you don't need to go anywhere. We we are 100% invested in you. Now you need to be invested in us and, and show us what you can do. And I'm not saying that means that, you know, 2023 needs to be some breakout 10-win season. No, I'm just I'm just saying he has everything that he needs. Everything. He's got his defensive coordinator. We Missouri gave that guy a lot of money. They believe they have a head, head coach. They're going to keep that head coach here by throwing a lot of money at him. They're giving him enough to buy a coordinator or promote somebody from within. I don't know what he's going to do with it, but he's got the money to do it now. If you've got that kind of money, either you promote somebody from within, but I mean, you have to go. Outside. It's almost hard to get yeah. there money wise. You kind of you have, have to, to go outside. So, yeah. Do you think, do, do you think Casey is going to get this job? So I've seen that name bantered around online and I love you Mizzou fans, but you have to learn some other coaches' names. <laughs> okay. Like, remember when it was always, oh, Craig Kulagaski's going to come back as a DC. Well, and th- this is every yeah, fan base for yeah. what it's worth. Like, I, I cover the St. Louis Cardinals and the, the guys that they talk about coming back to be the hitting coach or whatever. It's, like, it's former, it's former, former Cardinals. Former, <laughs> yeah. Former coaches. Exactly. Yeah. Like, as a fan base, we need to learn more about other people. Okay. Whatever. So, Casey Woods, he is currently the offensive coordinator of uh, top 23 offense now at SMU with the Mustangs. I think he's been floated around for the UAB job. 
but I don't know if he wants to be a head coach. That's kind of up in the air, but to, to the point with Missouri. Casey was the tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator for Missouri for two years. He then follows, or he goes to SMU to become offensive coordinator. Now, what he's doing at SMU is running Rhett Lashley's offensive playbook. Rhett Lashley is the head coach there. He came from Miami. He is a Gus Malzahn disciple. You've seen that offense. It's that spread them out, run, you know, kind of spread and shred, run, 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 tempo, RPO, like basically everything that Eli Drinkwitz's offense is not. So if you brought Casey back, yes, he would have good operational knowledge of Eli's book, but you like him because he's running red stuff. So I don't know if that's going to be your answer. And if it is, I don't know if Eli's going to say, yeah, go ahead and import Gus Malzahn's playbook. I, I don't know if that would be the case. People have been saying Brian Harson. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Brian Harson's <laughs> offense is stunk. You seen you saw what he does. It's terrible. He has again operational knowledge of the Boise system. I get that. That's not a selling point in the SEC. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So I don't know where you go, but the two names I've seen bantered around. One I hardcore disagree with. The other one I would be good with. I just I don't think you would see what you think you would be getting if you were to come back. Does that make sense? It, it does. I, I think, though, that there can be a blend of those two concepts. Now, I know a big part of that system is the tempo. And Eli Drinkwitz just, I mean, at least in the time that we've seen him at Mizzou, that's not really part of his brand offensively. So I, I don't know how you would kind of meld those two concepts. But I think Eli Drinkwitz could use some new ideas. Oh, for sure. I, I, yeah. I think it could help for somebody to come in that, either isn't under his umbrella previously, wasn't under his umbrella previously, or somebody that will push him to try new and interesting ideas. I don't know if that's Casey Woods or not. I know that Casey Woods is a good recruiter. Mm -hmm. I know that he's a guy who previously was seen as a very good tight ends coach, and the tight ends haven't exactly developed in recent years. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not saying you bring him back because you you need a guy that can help you get tight ends. Like that's that's not the <laughs> selling point. But if you think this is a really good coach who can help you offensively with your scheme. But, I mean, worst case scenario is an excellent recruiter who pushes your head coach and you know that they have a good working relationship together. I've heard worse reasons to hire a guy, sure. you know, and if he thinks that it's a good situation because he liked Columbia and he believes that this is a situation that's going in the right direction and he thinks if he's an OC at Mizzou, he'll be able to get a better head coaching job sooner than if he were to take like the UAB job, for example, mm -hmm. I could see how it's a fit for both sides. I think what I'm very going to be very curious about, and I know we kind of got away from the Eli Drinkwood side of things, but I think this really plays into it. It does. I, I'm going to be fascinated to see what direction he decides to go. Mm -hmm. Like, is it just a OC and name only where really they might as well be a position coach that is paid like an offensive coordinator where Eli Drinkwood will continue calling the plays. He will be the one that comes up with uh, the game plans, all of those different things, or is he actually going to hire somebody that is in charge of the offense? He has somebody that is in charge of the defense, and he is more of a CEO type. Is he going to go into the Gary Pinkle role, basically? I, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know what the answer is to that question. 
And I think that's what will be the North Star of who he decides to hire, or at least the candidate pool that he's sure. looking at. Because the money's not going to be a problem. No. If you're willing to pay more than a million dollars for an OC, you could get a really good candidate in here. I just don't really know what the job description is going to be. That's a good one. I, I I don't think, I don't know if you listen to the show or not. And everybody's show is somebody's first. So hi, thank you for tuning in. But when I, when you were out and, and Josh was in, he and I talked about different types of head coaches. And we talked about the CEO coach versus the scheme coach. And mm-hmm. Josh brought up a really good point. It kind of feels like Eli Drinkwitz is a really good CEO coach who thinks he's a really good scheme coach. And he needs to really embrace his natural strengths, which is being that pitch man, being the representative, organizing cats, right? Like being able to have good ideas, implement them, have a vision, carry it out, bring it, get everybody bought in your offensive scheme. I mean, it's good. Clearly you you are where you are because it's, it's, it's not trash, but like he might be Dabo. Like that, that might be what he is. That might be it. That might just be it. And there's nothing wrong with being a Dabo. Okay, like Dabo got that job based off of just being re- really well connected, and 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 you you utilizing that, so it works. You know, Mac Brown is a good CEO coach. Nick Saban has transformed into a good CEO coach. You when you talk about someone who's a good you know like scheme guy or quarterback guy, like you don't talk about Kirby Smart as a, as a defensive genius anymore. You don't talk about Nick Saban being a defensive genius. Jimbo Fisher keeps getting called a quarterback whisper because his teams are bad. Like you have to fall back on it, um, so I, I I would prefer Brian him. Kelly, Brian Kelly, CEO Ooh, type. Brian Kelly is a very good CEO coach. He's kind of a, a trash human being, but he's a great CEO football coach. Yep. It's you have to embrace your strengths, and I think I hope that even with this <laughs> with this raise, he understands his shortcomings and understands the importance of this. The most frustrating thing would be for him to just promote someone internally. I know the fan base would be very much let down by that. I don't think that's a terrible thing. I know he's not the greatest name to throw out right now, considering what his charges are doing, but I could very much see Marcus Johnson, current offensive line coach and run game coordinator, getting the offensive coordinator to tag slapped onto his title and having him run the offense as his own. That's a, a very plausible. Maybe a Bush Hamden, you know, who's got some coordinator, co-coordinator experience. My guess way. would be that would be the internal candidate that's most likely to get the job. Probably. But you you can talk yourself into a couple. Now, if you have to bring somebody in. Do you have guys that you like? Of course I do. But I don't know if we're going to go get them. I mean, you could talk about Garrett Riley, uh, younger brother of Lincoln Riley, who is also... Uh, kind of a tempo guy, throw it around guy, but his offenses have been dynamic. I would love to see somebody like that. Um, I mean, that's really the top of my list. <laughs> that's the one I really want. I know the 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 popular thing right now is to go into the NFL and grab guys who are Sean McVay adjacent. That would also make me very upset. <laughs> Not yeah, if it worked, but like I feel like that 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 trend has worn itself out. I don't know. Is he still is he still a popular guy? Do people still like him? I mean, he's literally like considering giving up his play calling duties. So oh. I would say this is probably not the time to go down that route. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, let's not do that. But I mean, you know, Joe Brady for LSU. Um, he's he is actually available, right? Is now. he? Well, he was fired. 
um, uh, with the Panthers. Well, it, not because okay. he's bad. The, the Panthers were a the disaster. Were they did. Yeah. They have had, I think, four different quarterbacks, five different quarterbacks over the last two years, which means uh, quarterback situation not great. They fired mm. their head coach and uh, now Missouri's defensive coordinator from last year that none of you guys liked. He's the head coach in Carolina yep. currently. So yep. uh, not exactly the greatest decision making there. If Joe Brady... <laughs> would consider coming to Mizzou. I love that name. That is a really interesting possibility. I would take it. I mean, he's done it once before. Now he did it with LSU's toys, which are shiny and bright. But you know, Missouri's got some good weapons too, man. I I would love to see that. Do you, I mean, is there someone that you're thinking of or is this still new to you too? Not, not really, just because I haven't really... like I, When I saw this news earlier today, I was very surprised by it. You know, it's one of those things where you don't expect this team to do that. And so the first name that came to mind immediately for me is probably the same name that for a lot of Mizzou fans where I was like, oh, I wonder if Casey Woods is coming back. <laughs> you know, he, he got a job. He's doing well at SMU and their offense has been successful. He has a working relationship with Eli Drinkwitz. He is a good recruiter. You could make him the offensive coordinator and basically give him another role within the the, the recruiting staff again mm -hmm. say let's let's ride Let, let's see what this looks like with those two guys as the quote-unquote co-coordinators if you will um that that would be my if i had to guess and this is purely a guesstimate by me that would be the name that i think will probably be at the top of their list but i don't know man i again i i just don't know what they're going to be looking for so i'll have to go back through and also look at hey who were the young coordinators or young coaches rather that were with Eli Drinkwitz in previous stops that might be of interest to him now to come in now that he's got a, a bigger label and a bigger salary to offer. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that absolutely. seems to be where he typically goes is who, who have I worked with in the past? Mm -hmm. Now to do that, you got to demote or fire somebody, you know, I'm not going to prognosticate on who that's going to be, but you are at your coaching limit right now. So yeah, if you I, want to bring someone from the, the outside. Special teams and tight ends haven't been great. So. I'm not saying that, but you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, they they specifically brought in two defensive line coach for an obvious reason, and it's working. Um, the linebackers are very good. Now some of that is just dynamic players that they have for the past two years, but you don't demote somebody for having a good unit. Like, that just doesn't happen. Secondary is dynamite, so – Believe it or not, defense is kind of those coaches certainly aren't uh, you know kind of untouchable right now. So then you're looking at the offensive side, and especially since you'd be bringing in a coordinator, and yeah, there's there's one. It's guy also who's somebody who leaves and gets a, a new job, and so you could like could be maybe one of these guys goes on to have an OC job somewhere, OC job somewhere else, and they replace that guy with a quarterback. Like just as an example, a quarterback coach slash OC, or they're. Season taking on both season. roles, yeah. but they just mm -hmm. give them a more significant salary. Like you could give somebody a $1.6 million salary to come be your OC next year. Yeah. If that was a scenario that opened up. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, I mean, that this is all part of it. Like you said, Eli gets a bump, the staff gets a bump, and that's all going to affect the, the upcoming years. So I guess the news took you by surprise. I was also kind of surprised. I figured it was just going to be a buyout reworking. I did not anticipate a raise, <laughs> um, but here we are. So obviously Missouri's got money to play with, which is great to hear. Great to see. Staff is going to be overhauled either in assignments or people who are part of the staff. 
So how do you feel? How do you feel about all this news coming down? Obviously, we got to see the results first, but just in a vacuum, how does this make you feel? Conflicted, I think would probably be the word that immediately comes to mind for me. I, If they're right, they're going to look really smart mm-hmm. in hindsight because, I mean... 6.25 million, 6.5, 6.75, 7 million dollars if Eli Drinkwitz ends up being an awesome head coach and Missouri is winning eight plus games regularly and he's got them rolling with top 25 classes recruiting and they have found a quarterback, I don't know who specifically it is, but they found a quarterback that worked out like yeah, they're going to look really smart for getting this done ahead of time. But it's it's super risky, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they are placing a humongous bet on a coach that at best has seen mixed results. I mean, the best win this year is South Carolina, and Mm -hmm. I don't really know how good South Carolina is, to be totally honest. The best wins last year were like Florida in South Carolina, probably. And Uh, yeah. Neither of those teams was particularly good. (laughs) And then in 2020, like you you had probably, I would call them better wins that year. Eh. But like LSU wasn't the team that we thought they were when they won that game. And it mattered. It felt like a statement victory for Mizzou at the time. And there was every reason to celebrate it as such in week three coming off of their championship season. Arkansas, Arkansas. That was the big yeah, the, the Arkansas win was was significant, and that was like the only time that we've seen Mizzou put up massive numbers passing-wise. Um, the offense looked really good that day, but I, I I don't know, man. I It's a really big bet on a coach that has not shown you yet that he is what they think he is. And so they're they're doing the thing where they say, okay, it, it's almost like, like I, I cover baseball out here, right, in St. Louis. What a lot of teams do in baseball is when a player is very young, they have these entry-level contracts. And then later on, they get into arbitration. And what that means is by year four, five, and six, they become potentially very expensive. And then by year seven, for some of the smaller market teams, they they just can't afford what they're going to cost, which is 20 plus million dollars on a per year basis. So a lot of teams, they say, okay, we're going to get smart. And by smart, they mean risky. And what they're going to do is they're going to sign these guys really early. They're going to buy out the arbitration years and they're going to buy out a couple of free agency seasons. So that way they can lock in this player early on and they'll lock them in for a lower number than what it would cost if they were, you know, taking them into free agency. But it, it locks in certainty. And so for the player, you're guaranteed, let's call it 10 years and $100 million. That sounds like a lot of money, right? Well, if they were to hit the open market, they they might in those final three years make $100 million. Mm-hmm. And now they've just signed themselves up to that over 10 years. Mm-hmm. So for the team, you're saying, okay, we're, we're, we're going to be right here. And if we are, we're saving a ton of money. But if you're wrong, you just gave a player 10 years and $100 million. And that can absolutely cripple you on the back end, depending on what the salary is on those back, year, back end uh, years of the deal. That's how I feel about this. If Missouri's right, they locked in a head coach that they're going to be super happy with. If they're wrong, we are going to be having super uncomfortable conversations next year where we will be asking, can they fire this guy? <laughs> like, not should they. Yeah. If they go four and eight or whatever next year, they should fire him. 
can they? And that is a super uncomfortable situation to be in as a program where you just you were too early and you were wrong. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes really hard to move on. So I I guess I'm just conflicted. I, I like that they're investing. I appreciate that the money is there to show for fans and to the program and to the SEC. Hey, we are here. And we're not going away. I like that. That's cool. That's fun. I think if you're a fan, you should be appreciative of that. I'm worried they placed a bet on the wrong horse. And I just, I'm not saying that he's hes not going to work out here. I, right. I just don't know. And yeah. that's where it gets really hard. It is. Yeah. Where are you at? I like it. I think I like it. And. Interesting. Because here's, here's my thought. I, I believe that everything that happened in 2020 does not count. And I think a lot of Eli Drinkwitz's uh, best stuff came in 2020. And so when you view him at a three-year pace, you go, well, you went five and five, then you went six and seven, and then you're going to go, let's just say five and seven. Okay. Well, it feels like a huge step back. And I don't know. I don't know if it is. I feel like it's about the same. And we've I've talked about how this team is getting better. It, the quality of the team is getting better. Now, the individual units are weird. The defense stunk <laughs> and then got better. The offense was one of the best. Now it's one of the worst. Like, I understand that. But from an entire team standpoint, they are getting better. Even with a young, glitchy offense. And so this, this move does a couple of things. Number one, it makes it really, really hard to fire him. You are viewing that from the negative standpoint, which I agree with. If we have screwed this up and dumped all this money in here, we won't be able to get rid of him. Just won't. <laughs> Unless somebody won the, you know, that $2 billion Powerball and is a Missouri fan. Like, it's just not going to happen. We're going to have to bankrupt the state to go do this. Okay. At the same time, it also means he's got a lot of leash. He doesn't have the pressure, whatever pressure he put on himself, whatever pressure others are putting on him. This school just said, yeah, turn all that off. We have invested in you. Take the steps needed to build this program. Because my big argument for so long has been his actions seem to say, I have to win now either to get a different job or to get a contract extension. I have to win as many games now and his decisions have have shown us that he needs to, he has that urge to win now. I don't he should not have that urge anymore. He should not have that pressure. Now you have to win. I'm not saying you don't, but any extra pressure of winning now hopefully this opens him up to go, okay, I got some room. I got I, I can explore the space a little bit. All right? I, I can take it off a little bit. I can build long term because if some crazies want to get rid of me, they're going to have to get 50 of their friends and pull together a bunch of money to do it. Um, so I like that. It gives him room to cook. Uh, so it's it's a long term thing. And if he if he falls down next year again, it's not going to be an immediate you're out. Now we get to see in 25 and we're going to have a very full view of what an Eli Drinkwitz program is that we can actually for certain, figure out if this is our guy or not. Maybe he leaves. Sure, could happen. But it's not going to be because we cut him way too fast. And if he leaves, he was going to leave either way. So exactly. that, like, that's 
that's not part of that. That's not going into my thinking on this at all. I, I see where you're coming from. And I, I think that's a, like a clear headed way of looking at it as well. I think that like any view that you have on this is, is probably pretty reasonable because I think you can attack this from a million different angles and like you've probably got a fair at least way to look at it um, if you're being reasonable. Mm -hmm. Some some people just are not. Yeah. But I also wonder like if we got this news today, we, we got the exact same news and I know this wouldn't change anything for you, but for for fans if Nate Pete held on to the football and Brady Cook didn't throw the pick six against Florida mm -hmm. and against Kentucky, they get literally two calls that go their way. Mm -hmm. Missouri is suddenly, instead of sitting at four and five, they're looking at, what would that be? Seven and two, mm -hmm. probably ranked 20th. Yeah, around there. And I think that the reaction today is much different. Yes, absolutely. And so I, I think if you're a Mizzou booster, if you're one of the board of curators, that's probably part of your thinking in this is like, are they a better or worse team? No, they're, they're the same team. And this is what your, your kind of thought process was earlier in the season. Are they better or worse than uh, they would have been regardless of result. They're, they're the same team. The result just went a different way. And I know mm -hmm. that's hard for people to to like conceptualize because like, no, the wins and losses is what matters. That's why we're playing. And I'm with you guys. Yes. I really am. But just the overall quality of the team doesn't change. And if a couple of plays here and there change, this, uh, this season looks completely different. And we're talking about the coach in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. And really what that comes down to is very simple. Can he find a quarterback? <laughs> Please, God, yes. Because if he does, if he finds a quarterback, man, so much of the stuff that we talk about just doesn't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, it really doesn't. It, it it just falls off to the wayside. Like, if you have, if Jaden Daniels was the quarterback this year at Missouri and Brady Cook was the quarterback this year at LSU, <laughs> yeah. it just, just literally yeah. changed nothing else about those two teams. The yeah. coaching staffs are the same. The situations are the same. Everything else remains the same. Right now, LSU has a real chance, a chance at least, of getting to the college football playoff. And Missouri might finish 5-7. and seven. If you switched that position, though, Cook's now at LSU, Jaden Daniels is at Missouri. Is Missouri right now 8-1? and one? Let's just say yes, because you can't prove anybody wrong. But yeah, it's certainly and, better than where they currently are. And LSU might be somewhere similar to where Mizzou is. I mean, they're very terrible to start the year, so yeah. You know, like, yeah. I, all they have to do, and it's a, it sounds so simple, <laughs> and it's so much harder when you actually have to do it. If he just gets the quarterback position right, mm -hmm. and he finds an OC that makes him expand his horizons as a play caller, I think not only can this work, but it probably will work. Because just about everything else is trending in the right direction. But God, that quarterback position yep. makes everything so difficult. It does. It really does. Also, find an offensive line through the portal, please. Please do that. Well, there's that too. So, yeah, I, it's... I think... I mean, you already know. 
I think the quality of the team is, is improved. I know the wins and losses aren't there. But when you are a MacGyver program, like Missouri is in the SEC, you kind of have to, you know, make grenades out of paper clips. And now they are throwing a lot of money at that paper clip, but like it's a little out of the box. It's a little risky, but you cannot just play the Alabama game when you're in Missouri. You have to be a little bit smarter. You have to be a little bit more savvier. You got to, you got to try and get creative to solve problems. And the administration is certainly doing that. I'd like the football team to do that as well. <laughs> they've, they've improved recruiting and this game needs to get refreshed. I agree, but they've, they've seemingly figured out their defense. They've done the right moves to keep that defensive coordinator there. Let's figure out the offense. Let's, import a new line let's get a quarterback let's roll um here's a question for you nate yeah let's hear it just kind of future expectations Mm -hmm. if missouri next year is the equivalent of kansas state this year and interestingly interestingly enough those two teams meet at furrow field next year do would that be considered like is is that the step that you want to see from Mizzou next year to make that you to make you believe hey this is heading in the right direction yeah so for for reference point, Kansas State's currently 14th in SP+. Plus. You have the 32nd best offense, the 15th best defense. Six and three? Is that right? Six and three? They yeah. are six and three, yeah. yeah. Their three losses came against Tulane. What? Uh, TCU on the road and at home last week against Texas. Yep. Those Two of those are by one score. Yep, and it was a 10-point loss to uh, um, TCU. TCU. Can think of them for a second. The frog team. And right now, TCU would be in the college football playoff. They would be. Yep. So, yes. If God, yes. If this, if all of these moves and then the personnel moves gets them to be Kansas State, uh, fully endorse. Signed off on it. Yes. What is your threshold? Like what? What next year? Just looking at the immediate future, is the minimum for you to deem this like a, okay, they got this right. And for, for the listeners, South Dakota, middle Tennessee, K state, Memphis, those are your four non-con games next season, all at home. Your cross division, barring something changing right now is LSU and Arkansas. You get Florida and Tennessee at home. You've got Georgia on the road. You've got Kentucky on the road. Just to kind of set the you stage close, of what the season so looks like. So open, South Dakota middle, Kansas State. Close Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, Arkansas. Okay. Yeah, close is tough. Ugh. I mean, you, you should start the season at a minimum four and one. Yeah, because Van, Vanderbilt's the first SEC. Middle Tennessee yep. and South Dakota. So that K-State game, once again, is a, is a swing. <laughs> the acceptable losses. I'm not saying it's going to happen. The acceptable losses to me would be LSU, Georgia. Tennessee. I don't know what it's going to be, but yeah, I'd say Tennessee. Two of those are at home. Um, and everything, K-State? Ooh, K-State's at home. I think they could get him. I'd, I mean, this. Well, I'm not going to go down that path. I the LSU at home, Georgia at Sanford, and then Tennessee at home. Those are the acceptable losses. If this goes in my mind the way I think it's going to go. So you think they need to go nine and three next year? 
not need to go nine and three, but <laughs> more than okay. How about this? Seven and five is my is the absolute worst you can go okay. next year. Seven and five. You have to you have to get bowl eligibility before the Arkansas game. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> my rule. What about you? What about you? I think that's probably the bare minimum. I'd, I'd feel much better, obviously, about eight and four. Yeah. Like if you if you yeah. went into next year and your losses are K State, LSU, Georgia, Tennessee, so something ranging yep. in that direction, or maybe like if Tennessee takes a step back, Hendon Hooker leaves, and mm-hmm. uh, you end up losing to like Kentucky because something weird <laughs> yeah. happens, right? Yeah, <laughs> we does. know how that goes. Like I'll just leave some margin for error there, just to, in case. Mm-hmm. I think eight and four is really the threshold yeah. for you to feel as a Mizzou fan, like okay, they didn't mess this up. You went eight and four. You mm-hmm. feel good about it, whether it's uh, Jabari Johnson next year or Sam Horn or a transfer that they brought in. Maybe Brady Cook just took this crazy step forward, whatever it is. They got the quarterback position right. The offense looks interesting. The OC was a clearly a, an upgrade over what they had previously at that spot, which was literally nothing. Um, <laughs> and I, I feel good about the direction of the program. I think yeah. eight and four is where I would need to be. There are so many, and see this, I hate to be Mr. Hedge, but like how many defensive players leave? Sure. You, and that's why it's really hard. Do you offensive line? Do you, yeah. The quarterback situation, like running, like does Nate Pete leave? Like who? Yeah, there's a lot, but like in our minds, the move so far, locking down your DC, locking down your HC, opening up a possibility for an OC. And then assuming you figure out exactly what you outlined. Yeah. Seven and five bare minimum. Eight and four would make you feel good. For me, I'm I'm saying like you got to be from an SP plus standpoint, you got to be like 25, 35, somewhere in there. Currently, Missouri okay. is 47. So I, I think we're on the same path because I was going to say 35, 35. You need to be top 35 ish. Yeah. I think that's probably where you want to be as a program yeah. by the end of next year. Missouri is currently 47th with all things that have happened. Yeah. This is the highest they've been ranked under Eli Drinkwitz and SP plus. So there you go. Are they going to go up after this week? Uh, depends. If they get blown out, no. Um, if they keep it close, yeah, absolutely. Well, this is where I was getting to your prediction. So here's the thing, guys. I've talked myself into Missouri keeping it close <laughs> because I'm an idiot. <laughs> Do you know how shocking this is to me? Like, yeah. if you had told me, hey, Nate's going to make a a prediction on this game for this week, what is it going to be? Uh, you could have given me a million different <laughs> options. Nate suggesting, hey, I think this one's going to be close, guys, was not on my bingo card. I I understand where you're coming from. I acknowledge it. And I also acknowledge that, again, I'm an idiot. However, <laughs> however, I found some time. I watched the Tennessee-Georgia game. And then I went back and watched the Tennessee-Pitt game, or at least the highlights of it. There were two aspects that stood out from both of those games. Now, as a, sorry, as a reminder, Tennessee went to Pitt, so to Pittsburgh, and won 34-27 in overtime. And then, of course, you saw what Georgia did to them. Uh, they, well, not blow them out. That game was not as close as the score. They went up and then just sat on them. So um, here, here are the things that were the same. Both defenses, both Pitt and Georgia, their secondaries were just sticking right with the receivers. Now, either because of that or as a beneficiary of, 
the defensive lines were creating pressure on Hinn and Hooker. Tennessee has some of the best uh, offensive line play when it comes to keeping pressure off of Hinn and Hooker. Part of that is a the scheme. They throw it real quick. Part of that is Hinn just a really good quarterback. But against Pitt and against Georgia, he was getting pressured. And not just on the sides, pressure up the middle, which is the kind of pressure that quarterbacks hate the most. So he was, you know, kind of flat-footing it or trying to loft it over the tackle. And they started holding back, like putting two, two running backs in the backfield to stop the pass rush, both from Georgia and Pitt. So they had fewer guys running routes. That means the secondary could focus more on Jalen Hyatt, take away the guys that are going over the top. Because these routes are not complicated. They're very, very simple. And it's usually only half the field that he's looking at. So they It's were, a high school offense. Yes. it's it's The NFL would call it a Mickey Mouse offense. Mm-hmm. And and so they had to Tennessee had to adjust to this pressure that they the the front five could not stop. And that limited what they could do offensively. And Pitt's offense is just as bad as Missouri's. Georgia's is quite a bit better, but they were able to hang because their defense kept them in the game. Now we have seen Missouri go against good offenses. We have seen Missouri shut down good passing offenses. We have seen last week this defensive line, again, against a bad offensive line, but this defensive line create pressure, create havoc, and just completely disrupt the quarterback. If they do that again, again, against a better offensive line, but if they do that and give their secondary some time, you can stop this offense because it's not super complicated. However, if they don't play like that, if they play like against what they did against K-State, and the, or the big plays start hitting, this is not going to be close. But I've seen what Missouri can do against Georgia, and I've seen what they can do against other good passing offenses, and I think this defense can keep it close. It's just if Missouri's offense can do literally anything, I don't think they will. But I think it's going to be closer than most people think. So I think this, like, we'll get to the offense here in just a minute because that's an important – if you think Missouri has a chance to win, it's going to come down to the offense. If you think that yes. they're going to have a chance to keep it close, that's where the defense is the interesting conversation. So let's right. start there, keeping it close. How do they do that? Okay, well, it, it starts with what you said, and we saw this this offense at Mizzou. Like, if you're a Mizzou fan, you remember what it looked like. It was throwing it all over the yard. You try to get that first first down, and when you do, you run it just like a NASCAR tempo. It's it's nuts. The, the speed and the tempo with which this offense runs is... I. I don't have the numbers on this. I don't know if you do, uh, Nate, but in terms of the tempo, I would imagine top five in college football. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe there are others that are at or similar to where they're at now. Their adjusted pace, Tennessee's adjusted, adjusted pace, excuse me, is, yep, third in the country. Okay, yeah, so that, that makes sense. This is going to be as fast as anybody will go against Mizzou's defense, and that's going to make it difficult for them to switch guys out defensively mm-hmm. because when Tennessee doesn't rotate anybody, then Mizzou doesn't have time to do so. So that's going to be part of it, and that's going to impact the pressure potentially. So where does it begin? It begins on first down, like the literal first play of the drive. If Missouri's able to get some havoc and they create TFLs, they stuff them at the line of scrimmage, That that's how you give yourself a chance in a game like this. Because now you've put them behind the sticks. If they think that they've got the numbers in the box, they'll run it on first down potentially. If they don't, then they'll throw it out to like a quick slant or whatever it might be. And if you're able to break that one up, now you've got them in a place where they don't really want to be, which is second and 10, second and long, whatever. 
And if you're able to make another Havoc play where you pressure the quarterback, he has to throw it away. Okay, now they're in third and 10. This is not where they want to be as an offense. They can convert, don't get me wrong. They're one of the best offenses in the country for a reason. Mm -hmm. But that's not really how they operate. They operate where they should be in second and six and third and two, and then they convert. And then they keep it going, and now they're just, just running and bludgeoning you to death. Now, what is the other key factor in this game? Is Jalen Hyde. When... Tennessee has had to have these close games or they lost last week. It's because Jalen Hyatt, instead of being a deep threat, instead of being a guy that takes the top off an opposing defense, he is suddenly taken into a role where he's a possession wide receiver against Pitt. He caught 11 passes for 73 yards. His longest catch on the day was 10 yards. That is what you want him to be mm -hmm. against Florida. Again, a one score game, five receptions, 58 yards, the longest catch on the day, 21 yards. Mm -hmm. Okay. Guess what? Game was close against Georgia. Six catches, 63 yards. The longest catch on the day was 28. They had a chance or the, the Georgia defense gave them a chance rather mm -hmm. against Alabama. That's the one time where it was a close game and they allowed Jalen Hyatt to go off. He had his best day of the season, six catches, 200 yards, five touchdowns. Most of you probably ended up watching that game. Now, the difference is Alabama has the offense to be able to keep up when he has a game mm -hmm. like that. Yep. Missouri does not. They can't win if he has a big game where he's putting up like 100 plus yards on two massive plays. That's just not something they're going to be able to do. Like Kentucky, for example, great defense. They gave up five receptions, 140 yards and two touchdowns to Jalen Hyatt. Boom, game over, no chance. If that happens against Mizzou, it will be the same thing. So you got to prevent those big plays to Jalen Hyatt. You got to keep them behind the sticks and you've got to create explosive plays on defense. And if they're going to have a chance to win, Nate, I think they have to score defensively. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think that Missouri, even if you do all of the things that I just said, Tennessee's still scoring 24 to 27 against you mm -hmm. at a minimum. I don't know that Missouri's offense can do that. And so you're going to need a defensive or special team score in this game if you think that they're going to have any sort of a real chance to win. So uh, I say all that to say this. Tennessee's really good. Missouri does some things that could frustrate them and make it a closer game maybe than people are expecting. I'm still picking Tennessee big, though. Okay. I I think that's fine. I think that makes a lot of sense. The God, I wish this was on the road. Tennessee... When they're on the road, there's a combined score of Tennessee 87, road opponent 67. Mm -hmm. At home, Tennessee 321, home opponent 128. <laughs> They've only played three road games yeah, this year? That's three. wild. It's November 9th that they played three road games. Yeah, But they close with two straight road games, which stinks. Yeah. Not that I'm crying for them or anything, but you know. Um, I mean, they'll crush South Carolina. In oh, Vandy, absolutely. So. <laughs> they're going to be fine. So... No, I don't think Missouri's offense is going to keep up. And the reason I say that is because the things that Tennessee's defense is bad at is letting you have successful plays through the air and letting you have explosive plays on the ground. I mean, Missouri loves to run outside zone until they get an explosive play on the ground. Really are not reliable passing the ball. So, oh, by the way, they're also a top 10 defense when it comes to limiting scoring opportunities. So, <laughs> you know, uh, just everything, everything that Missouri is, is, you know, bad at, you know, Tennessee is bad at, like, it's just, this is not going to work. It's not going to work. It's, I said it in the preview, like you said, Missouri's defense has to score, pick six, fumble, mm -hmm. return for six. Hey, you know what? Luther Burden, if you want to return a punt for a touchdown, be my guest. 
uh, buddy, we need everything that we can get. I think this defense, much like every other game, is going to give the Missouri offense every chance to score. And the Missouri offense is going to take every opportunity to fall down the manhole and break their foot. And just nothing's going to happen. Or some Can I give you an X factor happen. for this one? It's on Missouri's defense. so Sure. I mean, let me hear it. It's, it's maybe a, a primary factor as opposed to an X factor, if you will. But the star position. And the reason why I say that, uh, you said you watched last week's uh, Georgia game over again. Man, they had a ton, and I mean a ton of success, repeatedly blitzing their slot corner. Mm-hmm. Now, Missouri's slot corner, if you will, is, is basically that star position. So you're, you're talking about Carnell and Martez Manuel, mm-hmm. both of whom are really good blitzers. So I'll be curious to see what the blitz packages look like for Blake Baker, because we know, based on the, the game plan that he put together against... Georgia, he ain't going to be afraid, but those two guys that I just mentioned and Tyron Hopper, those are the three guys that I will be paying the most most attention to in this game because you're going to have to get a lot of pressure on Hendon Hooker. That's the way that Georgia had their success against him. That's the only way Missouri is going to be able to have success against him as well. You know what's weird to me? I, I, I agree with you. I would love to see Martez and Dalen get just sent out to the quarterback more, but they don't really do it all that often. So we are, this is week 11. Martez Manuel has rushed the passer 27 times. That is uh, 13% of his plays. Now, he has gotten a sack twice, which is 7.4% of the times he's rushed. He's gotten pressure six times. That's a pressure rate of 22%. That is, uh, yeah, that's best on the team. He just doesn't do it all that often. Dalen Carnell, yeah. 14 rushes. Uh, is get, that's He hasn't sacked anybody, but he gets pressure 18% of the time. Oh, jeez. They should do that more. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe it works because they don't do it all the time. But This is the game where you break it out. You got to. Like if you, I, I would honestly, yeah. Nate, I would consider putting both of those guys on the field. Who would you take off? Uh, Joseph Charles? Bailey. Oh, Bailey. Probably oh, Bailey. okay. Yeah, because this is an offense that like, when they run, it's it's not the same kind of a like imposing power running game like Georgia. Now they'll do it, and they yeah. they run quite a bit. They get a volume of plays, so as a virtue of that, they'll they'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you put both of those guys on the field, I, I think you're actually kind of baiting them into doing that, which <laughs> I I think I prefer honestly. Sure. Control, but yeah, yeah, I would I would consider, and I don't know that they will because it's completely changing your scheme and your personnel for one game and one opponent. But <laughs> we've seen that before against Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, no, nobody's <laughs> ever done that. Three, three, five. <laughs> what are you talking about? Nah, nah. Um, but if you were ever to do it, I think this would be the game where you would consider it. Yeah, like I would just put. I, I would honestly consider putting Martez Manuel in the spot that you normally see Chad Bailey. Just a, a more athletic version of Bailey. Yeah. It'd be very interesting. You need that coverage ability in this game. And you're, you know, linebackers, Missouri's linebackers are not the havoc guys. Now, you know, Tyron Hopper has, has had his moments for sure, but all the havoc is done by the defensive line and the, and the cornerbacks. Uh, Missouri's uh, defensive back havoc rate is fourth in the nation. Missouri's defensive line havoc rate is 30th in the nation. Linebacker havoc rate, 72nd. That's surprising. Yeah. I mean, they send Hopper on stuff and he, he messes stuff up. But the actual Havoc stats get logged by the line or the DB. So, you know, it's if you want to swap out a linebacker, I'm good with it. I'm listening. <laughs> this is this will be the time to do it. Um, so if you look at SP Plus, you know, Bill C his his 
His math would tell you that Missouri at Tennessee, Tennessee would be favored by 19.4 points. So, you know, let's call it 20, roughly. What do you see this score be? Does Missouri cover? Is it close? I know you're you're thinking that it might not be all that close. What do you think? Yeah, I don't have them covering. I've got it 42 to 20. I'm not sure how Missouri gets to 20 points. I yeah. That might be a little high. Um, the offense is just so good for Tennessee, man. It and is. the other thing is they have all of the this. This had the potential to be a trap game for them, mm-hmm. depending on what happened last week. But because of that result, because Tennessee lost, they now know, OK, we've we not only have to win our last three games, we probably need some style points as well mm-hmm. because they're still potentially playing for the college football playoff. So I think that they come into this thing as motivated as they ever could for a game against an inferior opponent, which Missouri is. Let's mm-hmm. be honest. I, I just think it it gets a little ugly by the fourth quarter. I think they could score more than 42 against Mizzou. Um, but I think eventually Hypo calls off the dogs and that's where it finishes. Cause we saw that last year too. What was the final score in that one? Like 53 to something. 62 Frankly, I've locked it from my mind, so I can't tell you. Yeah. I, I don't think they'll get to 62. This defense is better. Oh, for sure. If it does, something has gone horribly wrong for sure. Uh, I don't know. I want to talk myself into Missouri scoring 24 points, but Tennessee scoring, you know, 31, 33 or something like that. I think Missouri can keep it close if we see kind of the best version of what we've seen so far. But it's tough for me to think that they're going to win. And I'm sorry. I'd love to do it, but I can't. So uh, kicks off at 11. If you actually so choose to watch, um, there it is. I think it's on CBS, so that'll be cool. But uh, yeah, that's uh, if this is one that you want to take uh, take the week off and go do something else, I think that makes a lot of sense. If you want to see if my stupid prognostications are actually true and Missouri can keep it close, well, go go ahead and knock yourself out. I think it could happen, but I don't know if they're going to win. BK, what are your final thoughts for the people? Uh, final thoughts are that this would be quite the the win for Eli Drinkwitz if he wants to make everybody feel like his extension was exactly what they should have done. <laughs> that would be a good place to start. Yeah. Uh, but realistically speaking, keep expectations low for this weekend. I think most Mizzou fans have expectations that are low going into this weekend. And then really the, the season's going to come down to what they do against Arkansas. Yep. So uh, when we get there, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. But I'm looking forward to this weekend, looking forward to talking it over after the game is completed with you. Absolutely. And that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rock M flagship at Rock M Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Z-O-U.